It's can we analyze personality and tell organizations, you know, this is going to be a good person to hire or not. I, I think the market's kind of coming around to that. And I think it, I think you're right, Mike. Uh, I think it is the retention issue on the back end is a symptom of the selection negligence on the front end. 100%. I, I don't think that accounts for everything. I think there's been a lot of environmental changes within workplace. There's a lot more power on the uh, employee side these days that contribute to that. But it's a, it's, it's a complex organism that we're dealing with. But w- one of the root causes is the failure of organizations to bring in the right people to fit the job, the org culture, uh, and things like that. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. The hot workplace culture term du jour is quiet quitting. Nobody quite agrees on what the term actually means, but it ranges from employees who set appropriate boundaries between their work life and their professional life, maybe refusing to go above and beyond for the sake of a possible gold star in their personnel file, to those who do the absolute minimum, just enough not to get fired. The term quiet quitting may be new, but the problem isn't. Employees who aren't actively engaged in their work are not a new phenomenon. Lack of engagement drives employee turnover or, worse yet, kills productivity inside the organization. Joining me today to discuss how businesses can better engage and retain employees is Brandon Jordan. Brandon is an employee experience strategist and founder of Workforce Lifecycle Analytics, an organization that works with businesses to improve their people practices through data-driven workforce analysis. He has a master's in industrial and organizational psychology and, prior to founding WLA, worked for leading organizations in the human capital management area, including Conexa, Bartrus Hallweg, and Willis Towers Watson. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Brandon. Yeah, glad to be here. Really appreciate you, uh, you inviting me on. So let's start with the bio that I just read. What is an employee experience strategist? <laughs> uh, it's a fancy name for somebody that measures workplace behavior, essentially. Um, you know, it's it's pretty core to, you know, my, my background is organizational psychology, right? And so uh, it's our job to figure out, you know, what, what are the components within organizations? What are the behaviors? What is the environment? What are the personality characteristics that, that impact people, impact organizations, right? And so on that side of our business, it's, it's really dialing in and figuring out what are the key components about the employee experience that make the biggest impact, not only for the welfare of those employees within the organization, but also for the organization's benefit to make them uh, more productive and happier in their job and one, wanting to stay with that organization, essentially. And so it's aligning all of those components with the mission, vision, values, and organizational strategy, essentially. So when 
workforce lifecycle analytics goes in to work with a client, what does that kind of project look like? Yeah, and so on the on the employee experience side, uh, it it's primarily em- employee engagement and employee experience surveys. And you know, in employee engagement surveys is a pretty typical uh, name to call it, but it, it's it's really more complex than that. The engagement is a critical part of a employee survey. It is the KPI, if you will, right? It's the key performance indicator. The need to measure the pieces of the employee experience and to figure out how those pieces impact employee engagement is really where you figure out what levers you can pull as a leader within an organization. So the project looks like us coming into an organization. If it's a first survey we've done with them, we really want to dive deep into the design. It's let's talk with the leadership. They already know where some of the problems exist, right? And so they can give us some insight on that. And it's, you know, what is your mission, vision, values? Is there a way that we can benchmark through the survey instrument that we're going to create for you? and figure out where the gaps are between mission, vision, values. What What is your culture on paper is your mission, vision, values, right? But what is it really is what your employees will tell you. And so are, are you living the mission, vision, values in your company or are there gaps there? What is the overall strategy? Are there people components for that strategy? And there should be. <laughs> and can, can, we, can we figure out a way to measure that within your organization and benchmark that as well? And so we go in and we align the employee experience to the strategy and these things, but we also measure employee engagement, which is the cognitive, behavioral, and effective way that people feel, think, and act with regard to your organization, right? And so when you think about quiet quitting, that's the the terminal, like, behavioral impact of where people start to feel like things are unfair and... Then they start to, to think about, yeah, like I got passed up for that promotion. And then at the terminal end for quiet quitting, it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to reel back on, you know, my productivity perhaps here. I'm going to focus on, you know, other things and kind of draw out some equity in the employee, uh, employer contract, unspoken contract there. So let's, let's define employee engagement. I've got my well-worn, uh, definition but when you're talking about employee engagement what is what's what's your definition well that's a loaded question to ask an organizational psychologist because we don't all agree on it either to tell you the truth there's a ton of research on this um even some recent uh research trying to kind of figure it out so it's there's a long history of measuring these these kind of things. And it started with employee satisfaction. And that's kind of a component of it, right? And that was in the 70s and 80s. And uh, Khan in the 90s was a researcher that came up with the, the terminology uh, employee engagement. And it's kind of evolved over time. And so there's components of organizational commitment. So am I committed emotionally to this organization? It's Am I satisfied with my job? A, a, a pretty common conceptualization of it now is what I just said. There's, there's a emotional component, you know, am, am I emotionally attached to the organization? Do I believe in the overarching mission and what we're doing perhaps for the community or 
to help people in their lives with the products that we produce, whatever that is. There's an emotional attachment there. Uh, do I do I think and I have cognitions that are positive about the organization, right? And then behaviorally is kind of that extra role behavior. Again, almost the opposite of what we've been hearing in the media on uh, quiet quitting. It's going the extra mile when asked to do so. It's it's the person that you know is a frontline employee has a coworker that calls in says they're going to be an hour late. The boss says that's not okay. Like we really need you. Sorry, my daughter's sick. I was taking her to the doctor's office and it's an employee that raises their hand and says, don't worry about it. I'm staying an extra hour. I'll cover, you know, it's, it's that little extra that you go the extra mile for, for maybe a coworker or, or whatever it is. It's, it's, that's the kind of the, the behavior that you want from employees, but you, you, you don't, you want it to them to do it voluntarily, right? right? And you want to create an environment for them where they feel like there's reciprocity there and they want to do that. It's that, yeah. And that's my definition of engagement is always something around the idea that it's a, it's that measure of an employee's willingness to dedicate um, discretionary effort. Yep to the employer doesn't mean they're going to do it for free. Doesn't mean it's, you know uh, you know, I'm going to work for free for an hour for you or anything like that, but I've got a, I've got an, I've got a choice here and I can, I can do the, you know, just what's required of me move right along and, and not think twice about what it's doing to the employer, to my team or anything like that. Or I can turn around and say, I'm going to do this extra effort. I'm going to help the team. I'm going to be supportive because I feel part of this tribe. I feel part of this bigger group. I believe in the mission of what we do. The work is, and my past experiences with the company tell me that this is the kind of behavior that will lead to success and, and, and recognition uh, and rewards. So, so I think we're, yeah, we're, so we're pretty much there on the same page there. So I mentioned engagement in, in the intro. Is that the right lens uh, to be studying quiet quitting through or are there other components uh, outside of engagement that we should be considering too? I think it's probably the easiest path to get at it through organizations, but you know, I'd like to speak a little bit about quiet quitting itself. And I know that's a term that's new in the media. Um, and it, I, I think it kind of has a, a, a branding issue. I don't think that the terminology really gets at you know, the underlying meaning of what it, what it really is. Right. And so my understanding is quiet quitting is, you know, being able to not be productive for it's drawing the line in the sand. It's employees, employer, employees drawing, drawing the line in the sand saying, you know, this is, this is as far as I'm going to go and kind of retracting from their productivity that way. Do I think, quietly doing this is is a productive way of, about doing it no i don't and that's part of the problem with the reaction that people are getting it's it's almost it feels from leaders and hr practitioners and managers as insubordination right it's like other duties as assigned you're not doing them right so uh but it, this is not a new new thing it's been studied uh, since the 50s through social exchange theory, through um, equity theory in the workplace. 
And it's been studied extensively leading, leading into organ, the studies of organizational justice literature, where they go into um, distributive justice, procedural justice, uh, interactional justice, and informational justice. So are the decisions being made in organizations for resource allocations fair, for distributive? Are decisions being made in a fair way as far as process? So hiring decisions, promotion decisions, that's that's the uh, procedural justice component. And then interactional is, you know, after decisions are made, am I treated with respect and dignity with regard to that decision, if, if, especially if it harms me? Not Maybe not harms me, but does not benefit me, right? And then informational is, you know, are all these decisions being made in a transparent way, right? And so these are all the underlying psychological processes, truthfully, in organizations that really tend to support employee engagement, right? And, you know, it's 70 plus years of research that is kind of buttressing the employee engagement research and literature that, that's out there. And uh, kind of circling back to your question uh, that you, you you asked about, is this the appropriate lens? I think it is, right? I think it's the quickest way to get at it. And what we get at through the employee experience measurement component is some of that justice stuff, right? It's like our promotion practices at my organization fair, right? That's part of the employee experience there. And we can we can really dial in on what are the structural components, the cultural components on the employee experience side and look at relationships between what the employees are saying with regard to that and their levels of employee engagement. So, and I think what, you know, I think we agree that this, there isn't a lot new here. What's new is Twitter, social media, uh, and, and the willingness of, of, of folks to, you know, post a TikTok of themselves, you know, jacking off at work instead of actually, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so, but is there anything new in the current quiet quitting conversation that, that seems different than, uh, you know, the way we've had the conversations in the past? That's an interesting question. And (laughs) I'm going to be real interested in next year's uh, Society of Industrial Organizational Psychologists Conference that I I attend every year to see the front bleeding edge research that's going to be coming out for this. So some of the conversations with my colleagues recently have been around okay, how do you operationalize and define quiet quitting? And how is it different from employee engagement? Is it simply the opposite end? Is it the same as disengagement? Gallup just put out a recent article that actually you sent to me through the Wall Street Journal on you know uh, quiet quitting. And they're pretty much saying it's synonymous with disengagement. But is it, right? So is if you put it on a scale, is high engagement on one end but then is apathy at the other or is it like go all the way towards disengagement? These are the, the nerdy conversations that organizational psychologists kind of talk about and how we, how we dissect behavior. Right. Uh, So is it the absence of uh, engagement or is it the opposite of it getting into what we would call counterproductive work behaviors where you're, kind of doing maladaptive behaviors at work. Yeah, active disengagement, um, yes. saboteur work. Yeah, Exactly. One of my uh, theories around the current quiet quitting conversation is that employers, especially over the last 
18 months have been hard pressed to fill a lot of roles. And they often don't do, and I've seen this throughout my HR career and uh, you know, 25 years of, of consulting with employers about their selection process. I've, I've definitely seen that a lot of employers aren't good at hiring people generally, especially when it comes to the outside of HR to the hiring managers. Um, but how much of it do you think, given that we got to get butts in seats, and that's been the, the cry from hiring managers for the last 18 months, and so we're, we'll just give us a warm body and we'll make it work. How much of that do you think is contributing to this conversation versus if we had spent maybe 14, 21 more days, but find the right person for the right job and really zero in on what we need in order to be successful in this role would would improve engagement and and maybe help you know make those invest those, those payroll dollars a better investment for the company yeah yeah i i think you're 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 on to something there and that's something i i have hypothesized myself in fact we did some research uh two years ago uh my intern team and and i submitted it to the the IO psychology conference. And we looked at, you know, is, is, can you measure engageability as a personality construct and use it in a selection scenario? But I, I, I think you can, but, but beyond that, I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's an external and environmental factor, right? So it's a, an employee, uh, market right now in the workplace, right? And it's the breath test. Can you breathe on this mirror? And fog it up, and okay, you're hired, right? Um, unfortunately, that's that's been the case, and and uh, leaders in HR have just been on their heels in a real reactionary uh, spot. Uh, the employees have have more power right now than maybe they've had in for, in ever, right? Um, and they're navigating it. And I think I've seen in the market, because the other side of our business is that it's the employee individual assessment. It's not assessment of the organization through surveys. It's can we analyze personality and tell organizations, you know, this is going to be a good person to hire or not. I, I think the market's kind of coming around to that. And I think it, I think you're right, Mike. Uh, I think it is the retention issue on the back end is a symptom of the selection negligence on the front end. 100%. I don't think that accounts for everything. I think there's been a lot of environmental changes within workplace. There's a lot more power on the uh, employee side these days that contribute to that. But it's a, it's, it's a complex organism that we're dealing with. But w- one of the root causes is the failure of organizations to bring in the right people to fit the job, the org culture. Uh, and things like that. There was just last year, there was a, a meta-analysis done of about 330,000 people. My Paul Sackett, he's a famous uh, organizational uh, psychologist researcher. And meta-analysis is like a study of studies. So they gathered up all this, all these other data sets, combined them all together and, and looked at, you know, what are the best predictors of employee performance when we look across all selection methodologies, right? And, you know, it's telling that just using a structured interview instead of the breath test can drastically improve uh, your ability to select somebody that's going to be at least a good performer, if not be a better fit for your organization and and improve your retention metrics. 
So just just that move alone, other than other assessment methodologies, regen cognitive ability, personality, things like that. You mentioned your research around engageability. What did you find in your research? Can is that can you really predict that with somebody, or is and, and is it unique to an organization? I mean, what what may engage someone in my organization? Maybe really different than in a in a in a sales environment or something like that. Well, what what we find with personality, regardless of the environment, is if you're able to measure something that's a stable trait over time, that's intrinsic. It's a trait inside of you, and it's pretty stable. It doesn't change very much for the environment, unless it's like a really strong environmental kind of thing, right? You can take the most extroverted person you know, and you put them at a funeral. They're going to follow the social norms there, right? Uh, but we, what we found was there is some uniqueness with regard to how you measure those three components of uh, engagement. If you try to measure it as a, a discrete personality trait instead of more of your, your opinions in the workplace. And so we, we try to align our measurement that way. Um, we couldn't completely statistically separate the two. And I, I don't recall the exact components that were almost the same thing as engagement versus a personality construct to measure that. Uh, but, you know, I think there's some utility in it. Uh, we ended up not including it in our personality model because it just didn't work out. But I, I, I'd love to go back to the drawing board and, and iron out the – and sand out the rough edges on it and, and, and get it going again. But in, in, in actuality, what we find in the personality literature is there's – long-standing constructs that already exist that tend to be correlated with engagement. So conscientiousness is a broad personality factor. It's so conscientiousness being, you know, your dedication, your uh, behaviorally, it's like you're showing up uh, on time, right? So it's like detail orientation. These, these kind of things tend to be highly correlated with uh, engagement scores within organizations when they look at personality and, and engagement. So uh, uh, subfacets of extroversion, uh, tend to be highly correlated with uh, engagement as well. Uh, the emotional stability subfacets like positive affectivity tend to be uh, highly correlated with uh, higher engagement scores. So, so the big five, or, or I mean, or what, whichever model you're using, those yep. are those are you think those are really valuable then in in selecting employees? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, they're real valuable. And, you know, you, you touched on something earlier about um, the situation, right? And, and there is some situational specificity, I think, when you're using personality as a measurement tool that needs to be accounted for. So, you know, aligning your measurement for personality for an accountant versus a bartender, let's say, for just for extroversion, right, is probably very different. You know, you need, you need a, more extroverted people to be uh, in the bartending role than you do the accountants that need to be uh, at their cubicle or at home now, I guess, or wherever they're at, uh, kind of analyzing and accounting for everything. So um, they tend to work. And conscientiousness is one of the best predictors of employee performance out of the big five uh, uh personality traits. It tends to predict across all jobs, uh, but other uh, high-level big five traits like openness to experience tend to predict well for jobs that require more creativity and things like that. Um, it's, it's always best to use multiple methods no matter what. So the most utility I think you're going to get 
for using any kind of selection instrument is using personality and cognitive ability in tandem because it requires no operational cost for an organization. You're not having to interview everybody. You can send these out at a pretty low cost. I mean, to quickly assess whether this person's going to be a good hire or not, take the top 20% of the people that you assess and actually take the time to interview them and do your due diligence to figure out if they're going to be uh, good performers and a good fit in your organization. I mean, conversely, assessment centers have lower validity than just structured interviews from, from that research. And that's half day to a full day long of assessing, you know, high level leaders and they tend to not have as, as good validity. Um, but uh, yeah, for the bang for your buck, it's, it's using those things, you know, it's like has the most utility, it's cost effective uh, and you're going to easily predict performance. It's they're, they're great tools. Yeah. We've, we've used them for 20 years in my organization and years ago, just, you know, figured out who our, our top performers were both current uh, and prior. And I went back and even some of our former employees who I would have killed to have back, but they had outgrown the organization. I, I even had them take the, the assessments and both on the cognitive side, you mentioned that, which I think is something a lot of employers overlook and, and uh, on the behavior side. And we got a really pretty good pattern that, that, you know, we tweak a little bit and we're not too rigid on, but yeah. for like, for instance, my analyst positions, people who are sitting there um, taking in data for background checks all day, sitting in front of two or three computer monitors and doing a high, just mostly high level data entry. But then I um, hit something with a criminal record or an employer who says they've never heard of this employee or something like that, have to jump up to a higher level and think and solve these, you know, uh, you know, follow a completely different rubric. And, oh yeah, uh, the, you know, it's a, once we get zeroed in on the right thing, you know, we probably do miss some diamonds in the process. Somebody who doesn't match our behavior pattern, yeah. But you know, uh, but would have been able to do it, modify their behavior, would have loved the job, maybe. But I know that every time I've varied from that in that general pattern, I've almost always regretted it, yeah. and you know, and it's cost me a lot more, and than than probably having those people who were the outliers who could modify their behavior. I mean, and I can sit down and do an. I mean, I'm the exact opposite of all my employees on disk. I'm high D, high I, low S, really low C. And my employees are the exact opposite. They don't want to talk to, I'm hiring introverts who are real detail oriented. And I would, I could modify it for, I could probably do that job for three days. On day four, I'm going to murder somebody. That yeah, right. yeah. and, and my employees wouldn't want to do my job. They wouldn't want to be here doing this or speaking at conferences and, and doing all the stuff that I, I deal with. So I think that stuff's really important. But the cognitive side, you know, for me in the analyst role, can they give me a subject and a verb in a sentence with appropriate punctuation, correct spelling, and it makes sense? That's what I really need. You know, that's the biggest part of, of, of the job. So, um, and then you said there was a third area that you were really looking at besides cognitive and behavioral, or was it, were those the two main two? The, those are the two primary things. I mean, uh, we, we are just ran a research study uh, this summer. So we're, Almost finished developing our own personality uh, assessment, so we're, we're wrapping up the analysis on on that too. Uh, we uh, followed kind of a big five methodology in the content validation stage, but it, empirically, it's it, some of those are breaking out. So it's looked like we're going to have about eight eight factors instead of five. Uh, but 
we're wrapping that up. And just this summer, we did a cognitive ability validation. So verbal ability and numerical reasoning. And uh, we did situational judgment uh, test items. So, you know, kind of like, here's a situation at, uh, at, at work, you know, what's the best and worst response to this situation? A lot of them are kind of frontline customer service, think, you know, retail, restaurant, uh, uh, call center type frontline employee stuff. It's like, this is the dilemma. Like somebody's upset and uh, about not getting a refund. Like how do you handle the situation? And so those have value too. Um, uh, there's a great SHRM uh, publication by Elaine Poulakos. And uh, man, I wish I had the title of it in the top of my head. But it's it's on employee selection. And it's from, I think, 2005. Great overview on selection methods. It has a wonderful table that I include in a lot of the presentations I give to SHRM chapters uh, whenever I'm invited to come speak on, on, the, on the topic that runs down there's probably 10 selection methodologies on there. And it says, you know, what, what level of validity, high, medium, low, what's the cost associated with that methodology, high, medium, low, what's the applicant reaction? Do, do applicants tend to like using that methodology or do they have unfavorable reactions to it? And then there's a column on um, fairness and bias. So adverse impact, right. Um, and, you know, it lets you know, like, is there a high, medium, low adverse impact and maybe what groups are affected by it. Cognibility is probably one of the best predictors of employee performance that you can use. Unfortunately, for uh, race ethnicity measurements, uh, it has differential prediction for different different groups. So using cognitive ability alone, I would never recommend any of my clients use it as a methodology by itself, because you can kind of get in trouble legally because, you know, it's, it, it discriminates across people, across races, essentially. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour over certification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select Episode 61 and enter the keyword Engage. That's E-N-G-A-G-E. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. I have 10 hours of recorded webinars, each approved for an hour of recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. Three are even approved for HRCI business credit, and one qualifies for ethics credit. You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Brandon Jordan. So let me ask a really wonky question, because I hear a lot, uh, you know, with use of criminal history or with uh, use of behavioral assessments or different kinds of testing. Yeah. Uh, it has a dis- disparate impact on this group or that group, but that doesn't mean it's not valid or even illegal. I mean, you know um, you know, if, and so I'm, I'm curious about how, 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 give me an example of where, where a cognitive test if it created a disparate impact just because your particular population that you're interviewing for this uh, skewed this way, according to demographics, how would that be an, you know, an unfair discrimination, I guess, is the question. Can you explain how that work would work? 
Yeah. So th- there's really some case law that and that uh, that really. What's the word, word I'm looking for? There's a previous case law, essentially. Mm-hmm. that Precedent, yeah. Precedent. Yeah. yeah. There's legal precedent that says that using any type of selection uh, measure, assessment, or otherwise, uh, can't uninten- even unintentionally discriminate against a protected group through the EEOC, right? And so, you know... And you can still, I mean, people use it. I mean, people use even uh, personality instruments that aren't supposed to be used for selection, like the MBTI right. and things like this. Uh, and, and you can use them. <laughs> you just, you're just putting yourself at legal risk when you do so. Because if, you, if your instrument is selecting a, a, a majority group over a protected group significantly and you, and you are sued, you are open for litigation there and you could lose, lose a lot of money because you even unintentionally did this. Right. And so that, that's the risk. And so it's always good for uh, selection methodologies that are apt to do so to use multiple methods to make sure that And the thing about using multiple methods, you're improving your ability to predict performance. Also, it's not just, kind of counteracting the, the the bias in some of those instruments. It's it's improving your ability to get the right person for the job too. What role do measures of motivation, uh, do you have much like the Holland code and things like that that measure people, you know, what motivates people and, and, and what drives them? How valid do you think that those kind of measures are uh, as part of uh, evaluating an employee for a specific kind of position? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I, I love those kind of measures and they're valid in and of themselves. Content valid, the Holland codes, the reassect model, things like that, um, are, are great instruments, but I'm a little less apt to use them in a selection scenario unless it's, it's something that the client really wants. And I, I, the only time I really use them with clients is for higher level positions where they're making sure that they're, and, and I'll use them in, in addition to personality and cognitive measurement. Uh, we we use often use the Hogan assessments at that level. And they have a, an instrument called the MVPI and motives, values, preference, inventory. And it gets at a lot of that stuff. And, it, and it's really more about, okay, I don't think there's criterion, as much criterion related validity evidence, meaning, you know, our scores on that correlated with job performance or, or what, or uh, turnover or some kind of important outcome, some criterion. Right. Um, I think there's less evidence that you can consistently do that with those instruments, but you can kind of anecdotally look through a, an organizational cultural lens within each organization. Right. So there's on that specific instrument, for example, commerce, a lot of, Top level executives are topped out on commerce. They're very motivated people, and they're very motivated by uh, extra, extrinsic reward from for money and things like that. Right? Uh, many executives are, are are higher in that particular facet. Um, and I think if you're thinking about at what level, what particular role within an organization, or you have an idea of what your organizational values are and things like that, what they really are, you can use those instruments to, to figure out if 
somebody's going to be a good fit there or not. Yeah, and that's that's also I think that looking at motivation may be helpful in managing a team. Uh, understand, you know, and so even if we're not selecting according to it, if I'm looking at my team and I know I want to know how to you know engage this employee, what motivates them? You know, is this a social service person, somebody who wants to do a public good in what they do? They would need to feel that you know that more intrinsic stuff, or is this more extrinsic? Is this somebody who? wants to see that scoreboard, you know, and the scoreboard is their paycheck or how, you know, that public recognition or whatever it is they get from, from the, uh, you know, from the, you know, from the effort. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you, I, I think about it in terms, I mean, you, you talked earlier about team composition and you, yourself and some of your employees, right. And like how if it flip flopped, neither of you would like it for, for very many days. I, I mean, I think it's, it's enlightening just on some of those tools, whether it be uh, motives, values, or the personality side. So I am topped out on learning orientation and analytical uh, for personality, but my detail orientation is like in the middle. That's not very good for somebody that needs to do analysis so much, right? So like uh, my, my follow through on things on, on my sub facet for conscientiousness I know is, is kind of low, uh, but that's good for an entrepreneur. You know, mm-hmm. it's good yeah. to be like, oh, here's a really cool idea. Let's go and let's build this thing. And like, let's really get it going. And once it's 80% there, I need somebody on off. my team yeah. to take it the rest of the way. Right. And I'm off to the next shiny penny, right? The next shiny penny I see. And uh, I just know some of those uh what we call opportunity areas, <laughs> some of my weaknesses, right? That I need to plug people on my team to, mm-hmm. to help uh, you know, supplement, right? Uh, some of the areas that I'm, I'm a bit deficient on. And that's one of the things that entrepreneurs have opportunity to do that almost nobody else in the world gets to do. We get to build a team around us to cover, uh, you know, to play to our strengths and, 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 and cover our weaknesses. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm like, I love data and I've got, two dozen data analysis projects started at any given time and they're all about 70% done. Uh, you know, and, and if I really need to get something done, I need to get it, create the framework and hand it to the right person on my team to really get it done. And coming to that realization was probably the, the, the biggest challenge as an entrepreneur, but also, uh, once I got there, it's, it's, it's given me the most success too. And at least frustration. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. So if I'm an employer and I'm interested in improving engagement, where do I start? Besides calling WLA. Yeah. Well, give us a ring, right? <laughs> For sure. A little plug there. Uh, you know, I think a lot of organizations, they the best place to start is you, as leaders, you kind of know where some of the bigger problems are. No doubt about it. And so does HR, right? And so whenever we go in on a, 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 a survey project with a client, it's real salient to us in talking with the HR leadership. And then once we get in uh, in the room with uh, the leaders or doing uh, one-on-one interviews to help inform the survey design, you know, it's more times than not, there's a handful of things that they're like, yeah, we're, we're not so hot in this area and we need to measure it and hopefully, you know, figure out what to do about it. Right. Uh, but you know, the, the, the common things that, you know, predict employee engagement is probably where to start. And there's a lot of resources online, just 
it's at the edge of your fingertips if you Google best predictors of employee engagement. Now, there's a lot of blogs and stuff out there that somebody that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about is out there typing up and just kind of making up stuff as they go. But I'll tell you some of the most consistent things that we find is uh, things that are related to, to employee engagement are trust in leadership. Like, do I believe leadership is leading us in the right direction? Do I believe that leadership behavior is in line with the values of this organization? So whenever we have items like this on our employee experience side of our surveys, we tend to find that they correlate very highly with uh, employee engagement. Leadership is always, it's probably like, especially those kind of components of leadership uh, are the most consistent things that I see on uh, when we do advanced analysis further than, than regression, it comes up most often in organizations and it harkens back to um, some of that stuff I told you about earlier with regard to organizational justice, right? It's like, if you think about the, um, Interpersonal justice. Am I treated with dignity and respect around here? Uh, is there transparency in the decisions that are being made in, by leadership, right? All of this research is interconnected, right? And, you know, leadership is definitely a, a spot that we see come up often. Other things, uh, learning and development, training, you know, uh, the feeling of I of purpose and I know my career is going somewhere is huge. And it comes up often uh, to in, in predicting employee engagement. Uh, th- there's just a number of common things that come up. And I mean, even with a client recently, um, we did analysis to predict both uh, withdrawal con- cognitions. I'm going to stay with this organization for the next 12 months, items like that and employee engagement. And the key difference that we found looking at the difference between those two outcomes, it was the same model almost in the top three predictors. Uh, the one thing that that changed in predicting employee retention was uh, stress and work-life balance. Things like, you know, workload is, you know, delegated evenly in my department. I have enough time to... I'm paraphrasing our items here. I have enough time to take care of my personal life, personal and family life uh, at this job. So, you know, there's differences, slight differences within organizations when we're looking at different outcomes sometimes. Um, You know, (laughs) I wish we we just had a meeting the other day that we're going to pull together all of our top predictors and we're going to make a social uh, media kind of push on our top seven or whatever predictors of employee engagement. So that'll be coming soon if you want to okay. check that out. But we just started. I wish wish I knew that question was coming. I'd just spit them all out here to you. But it, it, it kind of depends too, though, Mike. Like, you know, sometimes we see variation across uh, organizations with regard to what's predicting. Another another key thing there is the relationship with your direct manager comes up up a lot. So it's, you know, and that, and that really comes down to support, perceived support from my manager. You, you can have 10 different items that um, get at the manager relationship. What it comes down to is when I have a problem, my manager is going to be there for me. 
My manager is going to step up to the plate, listen to me, may not always agree or, you know, say yes, but we'll have an open door. will listen to me. And if I have a problem, they're going to help remove barriers is really what, what that comes down to. Uh, but yeah, there's a number of things that those are some of the, the, the key things that come top of mind. Well, and you mentioned listening and at the Fort Worth HR strategic mindset conference on September 23rd, you're speaking about listening, uh, to employees to, you know, to drive, uh, retention. Talk a little bit more, uh, as we wrap up here about listening, what does that really look like? I mean, sir, certainly I think, you know, surveys and things like that are listening, but what other kinds of listening beyond just doing, using those, you know, uh, those kind of tools, uh, should companies really be focused on? Yeah, I, I think there's a cultural component to listening, to tell you the truth, right? It's like, and, and, and to a certain degree, some of that comes top down. Is, is your culture a culture of transparency? Do your, do your employees feel that those leaders, top leaders in your organization, are let, letting you in on the know? I'm like, where, where are we headed? Uh, in the absence of information and communication, you know, people's minds go wild. And they don't feel secure, you know, they, they, they feel real nervous, right? And so listening starts with leadership transparency and communication, I think, really. And then it's creating a culture of that and emulating that as leaders through your communications out to the broader organization, through how you treat your employees, and it trickles down throughout the organization. I, I really believe that. Um, but that's not an easy thing to do. It's easy for me to be up here like, yeah, just change your culture and start doing these things. And obviously you can't, as leaders, can't be completely transparent with everything with, with employees sometimes, you know, so there's mergers and acquisitions and you got to be hush hush about certain things, you know, and that's, that's just the cost of doing business. But, you know, I think being purposeful and trying to get there as close as you can is, is a step in the right direction. I think there's, you know, programs you can put in place to help enable uh, managers at, at the middle level to, you know, be more effective at communicating with frontline employees and listening to them. Uh, on the heels of some of the employee engagement surveys we do, we do follow up focus groups and do root cause analysis, right? If there's some question about, you know, why a particular division or department has a particular gap, they're like, it's, it's a surprise. It's like, what's going on here? Well, let's go talk to some of the more tenured high-performing employees, let's get a focus group and really dig into this a little bit more. Because on the, on the survey, you know, if you got a gap, that's, you're, you're smelling the smoke, <laughs> but that you don't see the fire yet. You kind of got to get down there and get your hands dirty and, and really figure out what the underlying issue is, where, where the fire it is, so you can put it out. And that's, that's really that, that two-way communication with the employees to, to really get at that. So, Listening, as far as our organization is, it's, it's it is really the, the survey, right? It's 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 doing doing that work, and hopefully pointing our clients in the right direction of of doing something about it in their organization and making sure that what we're providing is evidence based data and the most uh, advanced analysis on it that we can give them. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that piece of it on September 23rd at the Fort Worth HR Strategic Mindset Conference. But for today, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining me, Brandon. Absolutely. Really, again, thanks so much for inviting me. It was fun. And thank you for listening. 
You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.